Welcome to the Art of Teaching podcast. I'm Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you joined me today. This week's episode is another very special chat with a passionate and inspiring educator, Gabby Stroud. Gabby is a former teacher and currently spends her time writing books about teaching and education. Some of her works include Teacher, Dear Parents, and an article in the Griffith Review titled Fixing the System. In this wide-ranging discussion, we talk about the challenges that many teachers face, her decision to leave the profession, and her advice to new teachers. She is honest, raw, and hilarious. I hope that you enjoy this latest episode. Gabby, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for, for joining me. Where are you phoning in from? Well, right now I'm in my writing room in the beautiful far south coast of New South Wales and it's a beautiful day. I'm on Ewan Nation and Ewan has given us another beautiful day today, gorgeous autumn weather. It's wonderful. Amazing, amazing. What is uh, the view out of your nearest window from the beautiful countryside? Well, I do live in an apartment and so I can see the apartments just (laughs) across the way and it's a little bit tragic because the people across the way are here. I believe they're from Victoria and they're here uh, having probably a little holiday in their holiday apartment. Really cramps my style. I have to like close the blinds when I want to get changed and things like that. It's quite handy having no neighbours there most of the time, yeah. but that's all right. And look, I can, when I look out, I can see my beautiful lemon tree growing and over to the side, there's beautiful sky. We're going to have a beautiful day here today. So Amazing. yeah, it's Amazing. a happy, happy space to be in. Quite possibly the most uh, important uh, question of the interview, what is your coffee order? My coffee order is always a large almond cappuccino. So, yeah. But, look, I'm one of those people who I'm so happy. If someone's bringing me a coffee or a tea, I just take it however it comes. You know, can't be too choosy when someone's offering to do a kind thing for you. <laughs> nice. I will remember that if we ever get a chance to grab a coffee. Yes. Um, what, what item is still on your bucket list? What's something which you would love to do? You know, I was thinking about this uh, just last night, watching a movie with my kids, and I'd really love to travel overseas again with my children. It doesn't seem like an impossible dream, but it does seem difficult and challenging these days. So I'm really looking forward to when the world opens right up again and I can take my girls overseas again. Nice one. It will be. It's amazing those sort of simple things that you take for granted. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you realise too that's not such a simple thing. You know, travelling overseas is an extraordinary um, thing to do, and and we realise that now that we can't have it, even though it, it's it's both simple and and challenging. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, is there a book? Um, it doesn't have to be uh, education related, but is there is there a book that you've read that has made you reconsider everything? You know, Big Magic by Liz Gilbert, which is a book that I think teachers will resonate with because we understand a particular kind of magic and uh, Liz Gilbert writes about this. Uh, Big Magic made me reconsider the idea uh, that I held about creativity and curiosity because I sort of thought that they were things that Uh, were indulgences and she helped me through that book to realise that creativity and curiosity matter a great deal and it's not indulgent to play in those spaces. It's actually a privilege and it's very, very important. So Big Magic by Liz Gilbert, 
Okay, I'm frantically writing down these recommendations. So yeah. uh, it, it sounds wonderful. And uh, final uh, introduction introduction question: If you could have a dinner party with anybody, uh, who would be there? I mean, obviously your uh, children would be included, um, but uh, is there anybody else that you would love to sit down and have a chat with? Uh, probably the late great Sir Ken Robinson. Uh, he was someone who spoke and worked in the educational uh, domain, and I very much admired his work. And I was truly saddened when when he passed. Mm -hmm. I believe it was last year. Uh, and yeah, there's still so much I believe he had to say in this space that was of value. So I would love to, um, you know, have a <laughs> spiritual dinner party with with Sir Ken Robinson. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I never had the opportunity to, to hear him speak, but I feel like he's one of those people that has um, had a huge impact on so many people. Um, mm -hmm. I remember uh, listening to his TED Talk, uh, yeah. or many of his TED Talks, and just he had this amazing ability to, to get to the point of why we teach. And it was, it was some really beautiful talks, and he's a, it was a huge loss, I think, when we heard that he had passed and absolutely um, and I wondered I realized I was like oh my gosh I miss I'm missing someone I've never even met how is that even a thing but yeah. he just had such wonderful things to say and he was one of those wonderful academics who was able to bring together the heart and the theory of teaching and that's what I see as being neglected which was what made him his talks resonated so much with me so if anyone's listening and they haven't heard Sir Ken Robinson speak they should definitely once they've finished this podcast, go and have a Google and listen to some of his stuff because it was incredible. Yeah. Um, the first uh, podcast I, I, I recorded was with a, an educator named Richard and um, he uh, knew Ken or knew Sir Ken um, really well. And it was just a, um, and I'm not trying to plug episode one here, but really I've listened to that podcast so many times because uh, Richard talks about just how what a wonderful person Sir Ken was and the impact he had in his life. Mm. And he uh, considered um, Sir Ken to be his um, educational father. And it was really lovely to, and his mentor, and it was really lovely to hear him speak so fondly of such an incredible, um, uh, incredible educator. So, um, yeah, well, I would definitely encourage you to check that out. Every time I hear Richard talk about Sir Ken, it definitely brings a tear. Um, but he's really really special. It's so wonderful to see that someone as great as Sir Ken, um, his legacy is uh, is living on. It's really mm. wonderful. Um, mm. The impact of, of his work is living on. So it's really exciting to see. But he will be uh, deeply, deeply missed. So thank you for um, that would be a wonderful dinner party. I'd love to. Uh, mm. um, uh, it would be amazing to have been a, we could have been a part of that. Um, and thanks, Gabby. So wonderful just to just to have a chat and to find out a little bit about you. Um, for people that don't know, um, how do you describe what you do? <laughs> uh, well, I came across the phrase um, or this idea of being a recovering teacher, almost like you're a recovering alcoholic. Yep. So I do sort of describe myself as a recovering teacher, uh, but these days more so I'm a writer. I, I would, I've got a tax bill that says I'm a writer. <laughs> so I describe myself as a writer. I describe myself as a recovering teacher. I'm an advocate for teachers. 
Uh, I am a fully qualified teacher and I'm also a hustler. You know, we all have to do those jobs that keep the wolf from the door. So I, I do a little bit of everything that, that comes my way. Um, and that's an incredible thing that teachers have is a skill set that uh, takes them, it really can take you anywhere. We've got an incredible, highly sought after skill set. So I just use that now and gain leverage from it wherever I can. Amazing, amazing. So you should. Um, Gabby, I just wanted to read a, um, a quick quote from one of your books and, and wanted to, I was going to ask if you could spend a few moments just unpacking it. So sure. um, I quote, uh, when you can no longer fight, uh, fight is uh, the only option. It's hard to admit, but that was my thought process on the Thursday afternoon that I conceded defeat and walked away from my career as a teacher. Just wondering if you could uh, take us back to that moment um, and also uh, share a bit of context about what was happening in your life. Uh, when you decided to step out of a profession which you talk so highly of? Sure. So that uh, that idea of fight or flight um, and how it related to me as a teacher, it really came about during a time where, you know, what was happening for me in my life, I was working hard. I was working really hard and teachers will know what that means. It was... Uh, towards the end of a, of a school year, there was a lot of... I was teaching kindergarten, which just uh, sounds absolutely delightful and should have been all, uh, you know, lots of laughter and singing songs and enjoying books, but it was the end of the, the kindergarten year. So there was a lot of testing and there was a lot of um, data being collected and there was a lot of end-of-year stuff happening. And so I was working really hard. I was in the classroom trying to push a little child through a test that I knew he would fail and yet the data still needed to be uh, entered into little squares on a spreadsheet and I'm not the kind of teacher who would just make that stuff up. I wanted to have the evidence there to support the very low numbers, the zeros and the ones and twos that would be put into this little guy's box. Uh, my class was, I, I hadn't finished the testing in the allocated time, so I was trying to create time, that thing that teachers listening will know what that is, you know, where you just give the kids busy work or some free play while you try to smash through some other tasks. And this task I was trying to smash through was the, the assessment on this little one who just, just had come to school not school ready. It had really been like a preschool year for him. And at that moment, as my class was having free play and this little one was struggling, really struggling through that assessment, um, my assistant principal knocked on the door. She used a funny choice of words. She said, um, Gab, is that, have you finished those assessments? She said, Canberra just called and they need our data. It was a funny choice of words. It's just that Canberra was our nearest education office. But the way she said Canberra, you know, it was like the government, the prime minister, you know, the nation at large. It just had all these ramifications. And she never used words like that. But on this particular day, she did. Oh. Canberra needs your data. And Sounds very official. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this little boy was looking at me like, where's my teacher gone? Like, why aren't you helping me work out if this is a six or a nine on this stupid laminated card I was holding up in front of him? And the rest of the class was just going crazy, running around, you know, pretty much unsupervised and uncurated and restless and just needing a teacher. And I just thought, what am I 
doing here? You know, I'm hurting this little one. He's he's not learning anything in this moment. And these other ones are not learning anything. They're not even being properly supervised. And I'm doing all this because Canberra wants some data. And it just felt awful. It just felt so wrong and, and so far from what I knew teaching to be. And I was having this physical reaction in my body. Like I was having these pains in my chest and I thought I've got to get out. I had this really strong desire to run, like really run, like sprint, like just run and not stop until the feeling Mm -hmm. had passed. And I just knew that something inside me was broken and not, not right. And at that time in my life I was already diagnosed with depression I was on antidepressants I had a mental health care plan I was seeing my psychologist I walked out of the office uh, out of my classroom that day I went and saw my doctor uh, and uh, he suggested that maybe I wasn't having a heart attack maybe my heart was broken which was beautiful and later when I unpacked that moment with my psychologist you know she spent a lot of time talking about the cortisol that drips into our system during those times of Mm -hmm. adrenal fatigue and stress and you know that our body doesn't know whether a tiger's coming to get us or whether uh, Canberra's just waiting for some data you know our body responds the same and that's when I really, something about the way she said that made me realise I needed to take this situation seriously and my body was trying to tell me that I couldn't keep working under this stress. And so, you know, wow. you know, I just knew then it was time to go. Flight was, was yeah. my option, you know. It was no good keeping myself in that environment. Yes. So, yeah, that's that was that Thursday afternoon, and I, I even just talking about it, I am so back there. I, like I feel like I'm tearing up. Like it's Saturday yeah. morning, and I'm like, because I, I think that. Gosh, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to cut you off. Thank you for your honesty. What What were you about to say before I jumped in? Oh, I just, I just oh. every time I tell that story, and listeners who have followed me may have heard me tell that story, but it's so important to tell it again and again because I think teachers see themselves we've all been in that classroom we've all been in that moment and I think it's important teachers understand the ramifications of too many moments like that Mm -hmm. and even as I tell it I'm back there I can still see that little one's face you know and I can still see the kids going wild and I can still feel my sense of absolute frustration and the stirring in my heart that moral and ethical dilemma of what are you doing gab what are you doing to these kids because what you're doing right now this is not right gosh it's thank you for your honesty that was uh that got deep really quickly um (laughs) i'm i'm so grateful that you would um i know you've probably shared that story many times but i'm so grateful that you would share it again because yeah i can i I was actually, I felt like I was in your classroom then because I think that all teachers can relate to that. And, and I think, do you, um, and this is maybe an even more of a personal question and feel free to say pass. It's not one of the ones I sent to you beforehand. But obviously you're, you're a parent. Yeah. Um, how, how do you, how has that changed your perspective of what you send your beautiful children to every day? Or how does that, has that impacted you as a as a parent, do you? I, I mean, sorry, I don't even. That's not even a question. Mm. Um, no, I, I completely yeah. understand w- where you're 
where you're coming from and what you're getting at there. I know when I I was always a compassionate and uh, deeply caring teacher, and then once I had my babies, Olivia and Sophie. Uh, I became even more so and I write in the book teacher something came loose inside me and that was very much the case you know that I I was like I couldn't put a lid on my compassion and my care uh, in any way shape or form because every student then that was in front of me was someone's baby it was someone's Olivia and it was someone's Sophie and so my concern and care and desire for them to learn and to learn well just became deeper and I don't actually think that's a bad thing I think that's a wonderful thing the thing uh, about being a teacher though and uh, understanding myself as both a teacher and a parent I just want to say it like this and it's I don't want my children to be taught by someone who felt like Gabby Stroud did on that Thursday afternoon. I want my children to be taught by teachers who wake up each day and think, I can't wait to get to school today. Gee, we're going to do some amazing learning. I'm so looking forward to seeing my class. I want my children to be taught by teachers who say, I had a wonderful weekend. I got plenty of rest. I want my children to be taught by teachers who say, I'm looking forward to giving this assessment task to my students because they've made some really interesting gains and I want to see how I can improve my teaching and how I can enable their learning. Mm -hmm. I want my children to be taught by teachers who say, I read an amazing book this week and I can't wait to talk to parents and to talk to my students about this amazing book I'm reading or this funny joke I heard or this incredible thing that happened with my own family on the weekend. I want my children to be taught by teachers who have rich, fulfilling lives because that's what teachers need to be great teachers. I don't want my children to be taught by teachers who are having moral and ethical conflicts in the moment in their classroom. And I don't want my children to be taught by teachers who can't sleep at night because they're worried about the system that they're working within. And I'm very grateful to have just had that moment to say all those things out loud because they are things I've thought about and written about and talked about, but I've never said them quite as eloquently as that. So thank you for taking me into that space. <laughs> oh, no no problem. I didn't feel like I did anything there apart from let you talk, but it's so it's so wonderful to hear your um your heart and your passion for the profession. Um still, even though you had such a a challenging time in that kindergarten class. It's so lovely to see someone. I think you the whole notion of you will always be a teacher. Um it's just that maybe in a different form. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really lovely, really really lovely to hear. I, I'm just curious as well. Um What's the response been like um, to your book, uh, Dear Teacher? Have you had... Oh, sorry. Sorry, Dear Parents. My apologies. Yeah. Uh, Look, teachers took up Dear Parents and uh, just laughed, cried, rode the roller coaster with me, sent me wonderful messages and said, yep, amen, preach, that book should go out with every child when they're first enrolled at school. <laughs> Parents should be made to read it before they enrol their child. Teachers really got on board. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that Dear Parents found the audience that it was intended for because it was for parents it was the letter or the collection of letters that every teacher wishes they could write to parents 
Unfortunately, I don't think it found parents because COVID came along and COVID stole my book tour. And, you know, I was last year meant to be taking that book all around Australia and trying to engage it with parents. Um, but that's okay because I think it's a, it's, a, it's a long, slow conversation that we need to engage in with parents anyway. It's not as though my book's a panacea and it's going to fix things immediately. Um, and I know that it did open dialogue with, with a few um, parents and, and that will trickle on and, and ripple out. So I have faith in that. I had one interesting comment from a parent before COVID when the world was um, quite different and I was doing some promotional work up in Sydney and I met a parent uh, who works in the world of publishing and books and uh, he said to me, well, it was a bitter pill to swallow and I said, oh, really? And, and I was a bit excited because I thought, yep, you're the audience that I want to reach, someone who's not in education and someone who's just read the book. And I said, how so? Tell me more. And they said, well, you know how you, you say uh, that education is not just about dropping your kid off at the school gates in, in prep or kindergarten and then coming back 12, 13 years later and the job's done? And I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, but I, I want that. He said, I don't want to have to be the educator of my child. I just want my kid to like me and be my friend. And I said, you need to read the book again. <laughs> <laughs> but I was really grateful that that parent was um, brave enough to admit that. Yeah, and yeah. they said, you know, I've spoken to my partner and we are going to have to change a few things because we can see we have the wrong mindset. So I know I impacted at least one person, but yeah. I can imagine too that there were some parents that may have picked it up, started engaging with the material and then said, that's all too hard or this makes me uncomfortable or I disagree and, and possibly put the book down or dismissed me um, and my ideas. So, you know, and that's okay because I want to write books that make people uncomfortable and challenge people. I don't want to just write the books that everyone, you know, wants to read. I want to have an impact. So I'm okay with that. But, yeah, I still think that that long, slow conversation with parents needs to be delved into and engaged with. My, you know, it's not as though my book will solve that problem. But I think it's, it, it's so wonderful to begin that conversation because mm. whether you, um, like I, I was reading it from a parent's point of view, my kids had, had, haven't started school yet, but also from a teacher's point of view. And um, it took me back to a time when I was um, early, very early on in my career, I was working in a private school and we would send out emails to parents. And I just thought, I really want to be able to say what I'm really thinking. Um, and then reading that book was, um, it really did take me back. And I think what's wonderful is it starts a conversation around these issues and and will this be resolved through reading one book? Probably not, but at least it means that there is a conversation around what needs to happen and also an awareness of the incredible uh, complexity that teachers face. So it's mm -hmm. really a really, really valuable book. So thank you for, for taking the time. Um, Gabby, I'm just curious, what was your experience like at school? And did you have a, uh, was there a teacher that really had a, a positive or, or a negative in, in, impact on your life? Oh, yes. Look, I was... Good a and the bad. <laughs> yes, I was a student who loved school and... Yeah. 
uh, I can see it already happening in my daughter, Olivia. She just loves school. And, you know, Monday morning she's waking up going, yes, back to school. And, of course, she wants to be a teacher because once you love school, you just never want to leave it. And then you see yeah. teaching a job that's going to keep you in the school environment. And I am running out of time to convince her otherwise. <laughs> but I was that student too. I absolutely loved school. And I had many teachers that I adored. You know, when we spoke and we opened this podcast, you were talking about the person you interviewed in episode one and uh, that Sir Ken was like an educational father to them. I was thinking at that time, wouldn't it be great as teachers if we all thought about who was our educational mother and our educational father, you know, those people who have impacted us as as teachers, uh, you know, or just our educational parents. We could have a whole suite of them, couldn't Mm -hmm. we? Um, And every time I contemplate this question, I think, you know, I am really thinking of, you know, those educational forebears who who guided me and inspired me to want to be a teacher. Um, Look, I really loved um, Mrs D, who was my um, English teacher, and she was the first one who told me I had a gift for writing. You have a gift. That was just, oh, magic to be told I had a gift. I suspect yeah, high school teacher. Yeah. I suspected I had a gift. I, I I had the gift of writing, but she told me and it just made such a difference to my world and it just uh, gave me such uh, confidence in myself. And so then, of course, I didn't want to go on and be a writer on to be a teacher because that yeah. was some powerful stuff she just did there. I want to be the giver of the gift. Um, look, I also loved uh, my year one teacher, Mr McKendrick, who when we did great work, he would draw a little something on our on the back of our hand to represent the good work that we had done. Uh, but, you know, also too I had some teachers who didn't leave a, a great impact. I had a, a secondary school maths teacher who was you know, he was one of those maths teachers or, or one of those teachers, we've all had them, who was teaching out of subject, you know. I think he was he was really the PE teacher, is you know, and he was the PE coordinator. Lovely guy, but his heart wasn't in maths and we were getting up to about year nine or year ten and things were getting complex and difficult. I could feel myself falling behind. The nerd in me was very frustrated by that, but, gee, we were rat bags in that class. I can remember there was a brick as a doorstop <laughs> in that okay. classroom and it was the ongoing joke to try and get the brick quietly into someone's school bag before we left the lesson that was sort of how we were spending our time you know being really cunning with this brick and it was just always hilarious to see whoever it was ended up with the brick in their bag try to lift their bag up at the end of the lesson so you know I found that as much as it was fun and teenagery, and we all do those kind of crazy things, we have those funny, fond memories of fun in the classroom. I was also really frustrated because I could tell that the maths was getting more complex and I was falling behind. Mm. I told you I was a nerd. That's a big confession. No, oh, that's look, sorry, that's everyone. I, I, and, and isn't it like even as you were speaking, like it's funny how, sorry, I mean, we we all have these like experiences at school and I remember hating maths because my maths teacher hated maths and yeah and he never showed up and then I lived from probably from year eight until university with this sort of maths anxiety I just had this perception that I wasn't any good at it and yes and now by far it's my favorite subject to teach and I just think like like 
where was this maths that I got to experience at university yes. that I never got a chance to experience at school? And I, I did an interview with a, a lady called a Dr. Catherine Attard, who I remember being in her lectures at university doing my master's and my it was like my my eyes were open to the mm-hmm. wonder and the and the beauty and the complexity and the creativity of maths and I just it's amazing how much power a teacher has and you can't yes. you can't fake passion you either like your subject or you don't and if yes, you don't yes. you're doing damage and I I don't even think for the first three months I knew who my maths teacher was in high school because he yeah, was never yeah. there. Yeah, um, and that's and frightening, isn't it? Although, you know what, having said all of that, and I wholeheartedly agree, I know that I was an exceptional maths teacher because I was very good at recognising the kids who mm. were looking puzzled because yeah. I knew that face because I used to make that Your face, face. Yeah. when I was <laughs> in a maths class. Yeah. And because maths had not, because I'd sort of, fallen behind in high school and maths had not come easily to me, I was very good at understanding children's misconceptions Mm. about a subject, more so than in creative writing and the literacy and things like that, which is my complete skill set and my natural talent. But sometimes when kids just couldn't get a concept in that, I would find myself feeling a a little measure of frustration because I think, how come you just don't get this? Whereas in maths, I was able to say, oh, I can see what you're thinking here and you Mm -hmm. think it's this because of this, because I used to think that too. So sometimes our, you know, that whole weakness can become your greatest strength, you know. And it's so interesting that we, like, we remember how these teachers like made us feel mm. and like I remember like I I heard this quote by um and I'm just reading it now by Maya Angelou and it just it it just made me stop and think and it says that people will forget what you said people, people sorry people will forget what you say people will forget what you did but people will never forget how you made them feel mm. and I remember walking into a classroom and my wife is sick of me talking about Miss Jones who was my year four teacher uh-huh. Um, she says, don't bring that story up. And so she's not here, so I can do that. Um, (laughs) But I just knew that every time I walked into her classroom, I just knew that I was, like, valued and that I was known. And we were going through a particularly uh, challenging um, family situation at the time, but I knew that every time I stepped inside her classroom Mm. that she made me feel like I should be there. And I have no idea what I learned that year, Mm. um, but I remember how she made us feel. And I think that's such a... It's such a powerful reminder that um, uh, while content is really important, um, at the end of the day, it's how you make your students feel and how you take the time to to interact with them. And it's it's and everyone has those stories, whether you are in the teaching profession or not. Mm. We all have a story of how a, a, a one teacher made us feel, whether positively or or negatively. So absolutely, yeah, it's yep. wonderful to hear your story. Thank you for uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, I did. Um, gosh, I feel like I could talk to you all day. I know time is uh, getting away from us. So uh, it's really lovely to hear uh, your passion and your heart for the profession. I just want to ask you a couple of uh, questions about teachers, um, obviously your book. Um, why did we talked a little bit about Dear Parents, but why do you think why do you think the book Teachers needed to be written? And um, yeah, why did you decide that, that, I know that's not your first, that wasn't your first book, but it sort of mm. seems like it's your first book in a series of honest mm. conversations about education. So why did you think that book needed to be written? You know, it, 
That is such an interesting question because it's as though I didn't realise it needed to be written until it was written mm-hmm. and then it received the reception and the interest uh, and provoked the conversations that it did. So what was written first was a piece for a journal called the Griffith Review mm-hmm. and it was called Teaching Australia, Fight or Flight by Gabby Stroud. And uh, people can access that online if they want to just pop Gabby Stroud Griffith Review oh. in, into a search engine. Sorry, Gabby, I'll put all of the links and stuff from right. the discussion so that they're Yeah, there. yeah. it's not, you know, it's not crucial to anything, but it's just interesting to see where, like, the, the, the genesis of this story, the kernel that was sort of planted in the ground and from 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 there came all of this other storytelling and narrative and conversation. But that essay was about, um, it, it went into the journal Griffith Review and their theme was fixing the system. And I'd left teaching and I was taking 12 months to decide whether I'd go back and this article, this journal was being published with the theme Fixing the System and I just was so cynical and unhappy at that time and I thought, yeah, I know a system that needs fixing the education system. And I pitched this article to uh, Julianne Schultz of the Griffith Review who was editing at the time and you know, she she listened. She was she was astonished and horrified that someone who was clearly passionate and creative and clever and professional uh, as a teacher felt as though there was no place for them in education anymore. And so, really, that question of where did the book teacher come from? It, it comes from the fact that people outside the education system were ready to listen and they were ready to give our teacher and in turn many teachers a platform and a voice and a space, a place to be heard. I kind of think it's coming to me now even as I'm saying this to you that as teachers we we sort of think that we want to change things in our profession and within our systems and we try to do it within our systems and we try to go through, you know, he, here are the means of communication and here are the levels and here's the email you meant to send and here's the chain of command um, or the food chain or the ecosystem or whatever and we have to work within those parameters. I was out of that. I was, you know, taking 12 months away from the classroom and I took that complaint, that idea of dissatisfaction, that idea that there was something needed to be said and I placed it outside of the system and outside of the system was where I found they were ready to listen. Um, and and so, you know, the, that Griffith Review essay, oh, my gosh, it went gangbusters. It's to this date it's still one of their most read online essays. I was interviewed by Richard Feidler and that wonderful um, podcast called Conversations. I was invited to be a guest on the TV show The Drum and it was all because of a few thousand words that I'd written and published in in a journal that was not even an education journal or a teaching oh. journal or, or yeah. anything like that. And from there then I had um, the mighty Jane Palfreyman from Allen and Unwin 
gave me a call and she said, I've read your essay and it was deeply moving. And then she said, Gabby, do you have more to say? That's a dangerous question to ask <laughs> as you're experiencing now because I always have more to say. No, I, to say. I, think, I think it's wonderful. And even to see you um, smile as you're talking about teaching, do you know what I mean? Like it's really lovely to see um, that you are still incredibly passionate about the profession. It's just your passion may look a little bit different than it did yes. when you were sitting in the class. It's wonderful. Um, is there anything that you, speaking of sp saying more, is there anything that you wish you had said and didn't um, or is there anything that you wish you had not said uh, in that essay? Okay, that's two questions awkwardly yeah. into one. Uh, I, I am becoming aware that uh, hard data, stats and figures um, still have such great weight and clout and power in today's society and mm. that perhaps if I were to rewrite that essay, I would probably consider putting in more hard research in that regard. However, having said that, I'm still so proud of that essay and I still stand by my idea that we don't actually need hard data and research and stats uh, to support teaching and learning because actually these are things that are essentially unquantifiable in so many ways. So yeah. I kind of don't want to jump yeah. through this particular hoop that stands for so much I'm against. Yeah. And then I always need to say, I mean, of course, I'm all for testing and we need to test and we need to collect information on how our students are performing, but it's about what we do with that data. So I'm very wary yeah. of holding up data as a means of going, see how broken this is? We collect so much data. See with this data I've collected. <laughs> so yeah. I just, you know, I really, I'm very convicted about what I'm, what I'm about and what I believe teaching, mm. good teaching and learning looks like and Looks like, sounds like, feels like we could yeah. write about that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I want to stand by that. So, you know, I, I'm happy with my essay as it is, but I do understand now that, you know, what, what power hard figures do have. Yeah, and it's so... I think that is, it is always that kind of tension, isn't it? Because our job has so much to do with data, but also essentially it's about how we relate and how we interact with people and mm -hmm. individuals. And, and speaking of um, individuals, I would really love to know if Reaction is a real boy um, or if he is a combination of different experiences to, um, uh, mm. of, of different students. It is, for those in another way, he's a, a character which... Um, is very prominent in your book, Dear Parents. Mm. And but tell me about Reaction. Is he real? So Reaction is a composite of okay. <laughs> many troubled children that okay. I had encountered and taught. However, there is one boy who very much drove the, the character of Reaction. Mm. Um, and, look, Reaction was the funnest character to write because those in inverted commas, naughty children, uh, you know, don't they just light up our lives as teachers? Like in the moment when they're misbehaving, you're thinking, oh, my God, child, you're killing me. But later when you're telling the story yeah. to someone, you're like, this is oh. hilarious. They are generally just so hilarious. And so, um, you know, Reaction was was sort of loosely based on a, on a particular student that had gone 
right through his primary school days uh, at a school that I had taught at. And as much, you know, we loved and hated him in equal measure. But then also a composite of every, you know, then I just got to lump on every other funny and clever and naughty thing that other kids had done. And so he, the, the Reaxton character was wonderful and hilarious to, to write. But that one main child that I did base that, that Reaxton character on, sadly, he finished school, finished, went all the way to year 12, and then he took his own life. Oh. And I think that's a great... Oh. Uh, it's, a, it's a great sadness and a great tragedy, but it's also a testament to how safely our schools hold our students and that even though he was just busting out of his skin every day at school and told us countless times in countless ways with very colourful language how much he hated us and hated school, you know, he still kept turning up and that, that child kept turning up all the way to Year 12 and then just didn't feel the world had a place yeah. for him. And I, I think that that's... You know, I, I feel it every time I recount that it's a real sucker punch, and and our our community, our small community down here, really felt that. That, you know, uh, but but look at the end of the day, what more could we have done for that child? You know, we had, as teachers, we had loved him, we'd held him, and we'd made our schools as safe for him as as they could be. He was the real, uh, you know, the real lack of safety in our schools. You know, we spent so much time trying to protect other kids from him. And yet you realise when you hear that story, how important school was mm. for him. And so we really, you know, part of me telling that story later in podcasts and recounting it to audiences is we really need to think about what's happening for our our young adults as they try to transition out of school because there is a chronic mismatch between school world and real world and and we need to smooth and, and pave that way you know even if you take a really highly functional uh kid with great cultural capital uh you know and you see them leave year 12 well a lot of them now are like oh i need a gap year you know this whole i need to recover <laughs> from school i think that's really oof, you know what mm. what do we do to them that they need to yeah. take 12 months off and what a, um, I mean, gosh, it's, it's such a, a tragedy about Reaxton. And I think, mm. it's, I mean, it also goes to show, though, that our, our schools are so much more than data collection mm. facilities. And it um, has a lot to do with the those social interactions with kids. Um, mm. And, yeah, it's really his story was um, incredibly impacting. Um, I remember reading, oh, sorry, listening uh, to the audiobook and frantically trying to take notes as I was listening. Um, and his story really, um, really stood out. And I think everybody has a, a child in their class that is a reaction, um, mm -hmm. that is maybe a little bit lost or maybe doesn't fit the mould. And it was um, when listening to that story, it just made me take those moments to really connect with those students a lot more um, mm -hmm. and remind them that they are seen Yes, are valued, and I hear what they're saying. I may not agree. Mm. Um, I remember having this moment early on in my career. I was rushing around, and it was recess, and I had to get my photocopying done. and And this little uh, girl stopped and said, "Oh, Mr. Green, like I've got a bow in my hair." And I heard a talk, and I sort of went, "Oh, that's nice, nice." And I just kept walking because I was busy. Needed the toilet, needed to get some caffeine, and the photocopier the photocopy needed to be done. And I walked about five more meters and I just I had this moment and I stopped and I thought this could be the most important conversation that I have today with mm. this little girl and mm. so I stopped and I went back and I apologized didn't get to go to the toilet didn't get my caffeine didn't get my photocopying but 
I got to spend a couple of minutes talking to her about her new bow that she had in her hair. Mm. And it goes back to what we were saying before about um, kids remember how you, um, how you make them feel. Mm. And I think sometimes in the complexity of, of all the work that we do, we can forget that we are in the business. It's not a great word. We're in the, the business of, um, of people first. Mm. Yes. And so it was, I'll always remember that. And so every time I walk through the playground now, I I, I don't run, I don't rush, yeah. I walk slowly, yeah. I, I look up, I smile to kids. And if I don't get the photocopying done, then eh, should have been more organised. Yeah, that's right. And it's about what matters. That's yeah. one of my favourite questions now to ask, not what works. You know, yeah, we know that what works is, you know, a well-caffeinated teacher who's got their photocopying done and, you know, can punch out a lesson. But, you know, what matters is that conversation mm -hmm. with the little one about the bow in their hair or, you know, just those moments of engagement, meaningful engagement where yeah. you let a student know that they were seen. Something that's been fascinating to me is that after a teacher came out and dear parents um so many students got in touch with me so many and they would say I remember they would message me and connect with me on social media and they'd say oh I remember when you taught me I remember you were my teacher now here's the thing I remember every single kid I taught and so many of these kids that got in touch with me I thought mm -mm, I never taught you you were at school when I was a teacher there, but I never taught you. You were never in my class. You were two years above your, your big brother or, or your little brother or whatever, you know. But they would say, I remember you taught me. You were my teacher. And what I realised that they were saying to me was, I remember that you saw me. I remember that you <clears throat> chatted with me about the bow in my hair. I remember that you mm -hmm. stood and watched me do that totally excellent bowl that I'd been learning for cricket. I remember that you, you know, uh, you know, yeah. took that time to stop and look at the weird carrot that we grew in our garden and I brought it in to eat for fruit break or whatever it was. You know, they, they remember that I saw them and yeah, that's, that's what true. they're saying when they say you taught me. And what yeah. they really mean is you saw me. And it's interesting that I have never had a student come up to me and say, I remember you taught me area. Or, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember you taught me how to use persuasive language. It's yes, just, it's yes. always been these sort of these experiences. Yes, And yes. I think that's a really wonderful, um, wonderful reminder of what kids take away from school. Yeah. Um, it's and look, Gabby, there's so many, so many questions I, I could ask and, and would love to ask. And at some point I'd love to do a, a round two because I think I feel like I could talk to you. You know, when two teachers get together, you can talk for hours and then yes. there's always your there's always my wife sort of rolling her eyes. She's not here, yes. but always sort of rolling her eyes, saying, Oh, another teacher chat. But I think it's I think it's so wonderful to hear how much or how much you still value the profession. Um, and also how much you value teachers and the work that, that great teachers do. Um, I'm just curious, like a couple more questions. Um, what, um, what advice would you give to early career teachers? The advice I'd give to early career teachers, there's quite a bit, but the first thing is that I would uh, want to reassure them that it is a wonderful profession and that it, it matters and the work they will do will matter and that they matter as a professional in this profession. Uh, I don't want to put early career teachers off. It's an incredible uh, 
job, an incredible profession, an incredible calling. I would ask them to go in with their eyes wide open, to be aware that it is deeply complex, it is emotional, relational work, to put a support system around them that exists outside of the school so that they can have a long and enduring career. Mm. I'd encourage them to think about their boundaries and their non-negotiables, their ways of caring for themselves that would occur on weekends so that they can fill their cup. And I would ask them to, to um, or advise them to remain curious and to remain as learners themselves. And I would ask them then to take that curiosity and that ability to be a learner, to take that with them every time they're in a staff meeting or every time they're presented with uh, yet another initiative or something that is to be done. And I'd encourage them to ask mm -hmm. a lot of questions, to get their head around it. What I'm saying here, the subtext is don't, drink the Kool-Aid. You know, we are, we are teachers and we are in the profession of learning and asking questions and being curious. And if you are not questioning your profession and being curious about that and just blindly accepting things, then you're not doing your job. You're not being a teacher and a learner. It's yeah. so important that we question everything. And, and, you know, you are going to be asked to do things that philosophically, morally, ethically you don't agree with and you've got to get okay with that. That. so yeah. I would encourage them to to think about that and to always be asking questions and to always have their um, beliefs about pedagogy for want of a better word but you know about what teaching and learning looks like yeah. you know for that to always be evolving yeah. uh, I think it, it will be it's, it's dangerous when we see teachers just blindly accepting each thing that comes down, yeah. uh, that's handed down to us as something that needs to be done. We are professionals. We have uh, a voice. We have autonomy. We have brains in our heads and we need to be using those. Okay. So I know that's a big baton that I'm handing over to these early career teachers when they feel like they're drowning, not waving. Um, but, you know, it is part of, it's part of the job of being a teacher. And no one goes into teaching going, ah, I'll just have a substandard go at this. I, I just don't believe that. I, I believe that everyone goes into teaching going, yeah, I'd like to make a difference. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to think about how will I make a difference? Yeah, well said. I couldn't agree more. Um, early on in the podcast, you talked about um, Canberra needing the data. Yeah. Uh, Canberra is uh, obviously a geographical place, but also maybe a metaphor for the powers yeah. that are above um, above education, uh, above schools. Um, what advice, so not what advice, um, if you could get a message out to educational policymakers, um, what would that be? This will be my shortest answer. I would say to them, listen. Yeah. yeah. They just need to listen. It's yeah. not, <clears throat> you know, no one's no one's calling on them to reinvent a wheel or to, you know, there's not a teacher out there that's saying what we need is a is a new national testing regime or what we need is this. There's no quick solution. What's needed is just for them to listen. Yeah. And and then I believe in the listening, 
there'll be a slow evolution of some wonderful, wonderful solutions. It's not impossible for us to, to make this all so much better. Uh, but all we need is for someone to listen. Amazing. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. And um, finally, Gabby, where can uh, people find more about you? Because um, I'm sure... Oh, there's so much about me out there. Yes, <laughs> My yes. daughter Olivia loves just Googling Gabby Stroud and then she's yeah. like, Mum, check you out. Hit on images. Look at this one. Your mouth's open in this photo. So, <laughs> you know, I just chuck Gabby Stroud into a search engine and have a laugh. Uh, seriously, though, I'm on all, all the social media platforms except for, like, TikTok and ones like that that I don't know how to use. And I'm not very active on Twitter because I find people aren't very kind there. And it's not, I don't want to be somewhere where people aren't kind, but yeah. you can find me on Instagram and on Facebook and my website is just gabbystroud.com and it's G-A-B-B-I-E stroud.com. I didn't think about the Y and the I-E and how people could get confused with all of that. But, yeah, it's not very hard to find me out there. And, look, if you pick up my book, Teacher, uh, published with Alan and Unwin, that's my whole life story. So if you've been interested and you want to know more, it's all there. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure that all of that information is in the show notes. And um, Gabby, it was so wonderful to talk to you. So refreshing. Uh, the time has has flown. Um, I'm incredibly grateful that you would take time out of your Saturday morning uh, to to talk to me. So, um, so thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, it's my great pleasure. And I would like to thank you and to thank your listeners because our time is a great commodity, especially if you're a teacher. So thank you for giving me this segment of your time. I do appreciate it very, very much. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussion. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. I've one favour to ask. If you could please head to the iTunes page of the podcast and rate and review the episode. This would really help to get the interviews and resources to as many people as possible. Also, I've created a private Facebook group so that we can continue the discussion after each episode. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and until next time.